We want to welcome in those in the chapel. We have those watching us from the chapel and online. And for those of you who didn't see it, I was able to baptize my eight-year-old son this morning, uh, which was a very, very special thing for me. And I have to be honest, uh, he gave his life to Christ at the age of five. And here's how it happened. Somebody bought him a Lego Bible. And so he's reading his Lego Bible, and at five years old, like, I'm stealing Legos. I'm not reading a Lego Bible. Thank you. And so he comes across the page, and he says, Dad, what's that? Why are those people having their hands up, and they're in fire? I'm like, oh, great. And he says, well, what does that mean? I said, well, son, there's a heaven, and there's a hell. And I start to explain everything, and he says, okay, so why would God, listen to this question from a five-year-old, why would God create people knowing that some of them will go to hell? If he's such a loving God, why would he do that? If he knows everything, why would he do that? And then he asked, well, who created God? If God created everything, he's five, by the way, at this point. Who created God? If God created everything, who created God? Somebody had to create God. I'm like, son, go ask your mother. Please leave me alone. <laughs> but he has all of these great questions, so I begin to explain that, son, here's, here's what it is. And sometimes I have to say, son, I, I don't know the answer to that. And he says, well, dad, is heaven and hell real? I said, you know, buddy, it is. He's like, well, why do people go to hell, Dad? How do I, if there's heaven and hell, I don't want to go to hell. How do I distinguish which one I'm going to? How do I become a good kid? He's asking the right question, right? It's like, this is an opportune moment. I said, son, there isn't anything you can do to earn your way to heaven. I said, as soon as we sinned, which means we missed the mark and we rebelled against God, like, there's a holy God and then there's humanity, and all of a sudden it's like we're in a spiritual debt here, son, and, and you can't pay off your own spiritual debt. That's why Jesus came. He said, so how do I do this? I said, well, do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And he's five, right? So I don't know if, it's, if he really took it or not. And then all of a sudden he says, yes, I I believe that, Dad. I believe he died for me so I can be in heaven, so I can be forgiven. So we sat on the curb, and he'll point the curb out to this day. We sat down, and he said the prayer after me, and he received Jesus. Now, I thought, I'm not sure it took. How do you know it takes? Like, how do you know? Like, I'm I'm waiting. Is he going to go back home and slap his sister again? Because I'm like, we got to do this again. (laughs) Like, how do you know? And here's how I knew. See, because it's inevitable, once you give your life to Christ, the byproduct is always a changed life. And so, and so he's living life, and, and all of a sudden, um, he comes home. And he wants to tell on himself. Like he, he's, he tells on himself all the time. That's how you know, bro, something's going on. And he says, Dad, I got to tell you something. And he's like six. He said, I said a bad word. I said, all right, buddy, well... What did you say? Oh, no, better yet, what does it start with? <laughs> and he said, S. It's like, oh. I'm, I'm very thankful that you're, you're telling me the bad word. Son, can, can, you, can you say it out loud for daddy so I can be sure that I know what I'm dealing with here? And he looks at his mom. She's like, go ahead, son. He looks at me and I'm like, it's a freebie right now, son. Go ahead. 
You, you say it with authority. You say it with anger. You say it how you want it. I just want to know what you said. And he said, stupid. <laughs> I said, oh, man, that ain't a bad word. Let me tell you what a bad word is. <laughs> but he had this sweet early conviction about him. You know, Good Friday, we, got, we saw people saved, which was really neat. If you weren't here, let me catch us up, and I'm going to share this message, and we're done. It won't be long. When Jesus died on the cross, many people asked the question, just as I did when I was an atheist, why the cross? Why Jesus? If you, if you study far along enough, you can study this historian by the name of Josephus, who was said not to be a Christian, by the way. And the debate is not whether or not Jesus was a real person. That's not debatable. It's in history books, secular history books. The debate is always, was he the son of God? So when Jesus was put on the cross, at this point, the Romans had perfected persecution. They stole it from the Persians. The Persians created the form of persecution in 350 B.C. The Romans perfected it in 100 B.C. They had plenty of time to perfect this thing. And what they would do is they knew how to torture the person close to death, but they didn't want them to die on the spot. They wanted them to suffer. For example, what they would do is they'd put people on the stakes and burn them alive. But they thought, no, they're dying too quickly. We got to figure something out. So then they would bury people alive. And they thought they're still dying too quickly. So they begin to study the anatomy of our body. They begin to study what could they do to a person to give them the most punishment and pain without killing them. Well, this is where crucifixion comes in play. What they, what they did to Jesus specifically is they, would, they stripped him of his clothes. So here he is in front of hundreds, literally. Scripture says, or historical documents say, between two and three, three million people are Here at this time, they strip Jesus naked. He gets on the floor. They begin to get this whip. It's called the cat of nine tails, which the end of the whip, it had this razor blade, sharp glass or bone. So they would begin to whip Jesus in the back. And so it would take out the flesh and the muscle and the tissue from Jesus's back. It would come over to the front, cling on and pull it out as well. They did it over and over and over They knew exactly how many whips to do before he died. But if the person would begin to pass out, they would get a bucket of salt water and pour it on them so they can fill it on their wounds to wake them up so they can feel the pain again. Then they weren't finished. They would then put a beam on their back. The vertical part of the cross was already at its destination point, so they put the beam on his back. The beam weighed about 110 pounds. They would carry, he would carry the beam all the way through, throughout the city of Jerusalem so that everybody could see this is what happens when you, met, you mess with the Romans. So when they got to the point of being hung on the cross, they laid him down on the floor. They then took nails, which, which some historians say the nails were between seven and nine inches long. And they would put it right here in the wrist is what some historians believe. Now, Scripture says hands. If you go and read the Scripture, it says hands. But that's because there was not a Greek word for wrist. So this word hand is used interchangeably for finger, for palm, for wrist. Scholars believe that it was, it was the wrist because between the oldness and the ra- uh, oldness and ra- radius and ulna, there you go, 
They would put it right here, which would then hit a median nerve that would send a lava flame all the way up your body. Then when they would put you on the cross, they figured out that when their legs were straight like this, they would die fairly quickly. So what they would do is they would put their legs up just like this because it would cause them to have more life, to last longer, to be persecuted longer. So here is Jesus on the cross, and he is, what they would often do is put a board underneath the feet so that when the person was becoming crucified, what they could do to endure the pain longer is they would push up on this to get another fresh breath of air. And when they would do this, they would just endure the pain much longer and prolong the inevitable. So Scripture says, John 19, verse 30, when Jesus was on the cross, the gospel of John says that his last words were this. You ready? It is finished. Now, those three words are really a package deal for Easter. That's the only thing I want you to remember today. It is finished. Now, some people don't know whether or not he hollered it. It is finished. Or with his last breath, he said, it is finished. And then he was gone. This word in the Greek It's tetelestai. See, this was a common word in this culture. They would use it in several different ways. One, when when the worker would would go out to the fields and and he was done, he would would go to his supervisor and say, tetelestai, I'm done for the day. I'm gone. Tetelestai. When when the judge would have a criminal come before him, once the criminal had um, served his his sentence, the judge would bang the gavel and say, tetelestai, you have served your debt and your duty. They found this on documents going back to the New Testament that when somebody would pay their taxes or pay their bills off, what they would end up doing is they would stamp this word to say, your bill is paid in full, to telestai. Then when artists during this time would finish their artwork, they'd do one last brush and they'd holler, to telestai, I'm done. Then the priests, when the priests would bring a lamb on behalf of the people, because when you look at the Old Testament, uh, because of the sins of the people, they had to be forgiven in the spiritual law. So what they would do is the high priest would, would bring a perfect lamb to God to appease his anger towards the people who had sinned. And when he brought the lamb before God, they would slaughter the lamb, and he would bring the lamb before God. And, and when he would come out to know that the lamb was taken from God, the sacrifice was taken, the high priest would say, Tetelestai, you're all forgiven, Tetelestai. So if Jesus is uttering his last words and he is saying, Tetelestai, this word, Tetelestai, means complete, finished, paid. What is Jesus talking about? What is complete? What is finished? What is paid? There are three things he's talking about, and then I'm done. Number one, the sacrificial system. See, they'd have to wait for the entire year on the Day of Atonement to bring the Lamb to be forgiven for their sins. There was a religious system put in place in order for people to know they were okay with God. So, When Jesus said it was finished, what he was saying is that sacrificial system, you no longer have to play religion. It is done. It is through Jesus. It is through the Son of God. Sacrificial system. The second thing, death. I hate to break it to you, and I know this is a resurrection message. Nobody in this room can escape death. Do you recognize that? Like we all have an expiration date on us that none of us can escape. 
So in that moment, what was Jesus defeating? What was finished? The power of sin and death. Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. And Jesus is saying to Telestai, I have conquered even death. So that there is life after death for the one who places their faith in Jesus. Then the third. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a spiritual debt that they took on. A debt that they couldn't pay, but a debt that only Jesus could pay. So when we sin, we incur spiritual debt. So what Jesus was saying on the cross, that I have paid for the debt of humanity who can't pay it for themselves. Nothing can appease God but the body and life of Jesus. Let me give you an example. When I first started dating my wife, we're getting pretty serious at this point, and she knows I'm going to propose. It's really funny because, girls, when you, if you ever got proposed, you know it's coming. She knew it was coming. And she said, hey, before we get engaged, I really got to talk to you about something. And listen, for the one you're about to get on a knee for, when they say we have to meet, we got to talk about something, all kinds of stuff goes through your mind. Is she going to break this off? Does she know I'm broke? Does she know I'm balding? What is going on? (laughs) So we sat down. And she said, you have to know this before you propose. I said, okay, give it to me. She says, I have debt for my student loans. I said, girl, I'm 28 years old, and I've been waiting for a wife. You think I care about that? (laughs) And I said, hey, listen, it doesn't matter that you have debt. I, I value you not off of how much debt you have. I value you because I love you. I'm not going to let that push me away. We'll take care of that. But I'm curious, how much debt do you have? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Well, how much? Brother got to know. She said, I kid you not, listen to this. She said, I have $20,000 worth of debt. I said, $20,000? Oh, I thought you were talking about $1,500, dollars Did you say $20,000? But I said, listen, here's what's going to happen. I love you. And when we get married, your debt becomes my debt. And here's what's going to happen. Because I want you to stay at home and raise the kids if that's what you want to do. And she says, I do. I want to do it. I said, okay, you can do it. So I'm going to call Sally Mae. (laughs) And I'm going to sell Sally Mae. I know you've been taken out of Clancy Kelly's account. But she got a new man in her life. And I'm going to give you my routing number to my bank account. So all you got to do is go straight to my bank account and pull it out, automatic withdrawal every single month. Because I don't want her worrying about it anymore. She is burdened by it. The girl thought that I would marry her because of this debt. So I want you to connect it to my account, and I'm going to take care of it. This word to telestai, it is the perfect passive indicative tense. It means that in that moment Jesus gave his life on the cross. Listen to this. Listen, it gets good. He automatically on the cross paid for the debt. But what I love about this word is that it has two meanings to it. The perfect passive indicative tense. 
It paid right in the moment. But this word has a second meaning that not only does it pay it in the moment, but it has the effect that's continual. It continues to do automatic withdrawal. Let me make it a little more plain for you. When Jesus died on the cross, here's what he said. I am taking care of the debt and the sins of humanity. So anytime somebody believes in me, here's what I'm going to do to the Father. I'm going to tell the Father, this person right here who placed their faith in me, I took care of their debt. And in fact, because this word is a passive indicative tense, he also means this. God, go ahead and hook it up to my bank account. Here's my routing number. Because every time my child sins or my child falls, you go ahead and pull automatically from my account. Because the blood of Christ not only covered the past, it covered the present, and it covered the future. That's the picture. That's the gospel. That it wasn't only good for that moment, but it covered your yesterday, it covered your today, and it covers your tomorrow. I'll never forget when we, and I'm landing the plane, we got that letter from Sally Mae, paid in full. Praise the Lord. The burden was gone of a student loan. How do we know that Jesus took the sacrifice? How do we know that God took the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? Where's the proof? The tomb was empty. He is risen. That is the receipt that said paid in full. It is accepted. Now, You may be here thinking, is that really true? Does God really just, does it just really work that way? You believe in him and no matter what you've done, he wipes it away and he forgives you? It sounds too, too easy. Is that really true? Can you do that with any life? I want, I want you to pay attention to this testimony. It has the power of Jesus all over it. Check this out. I mean, so growing up, I mean, I grew up in a good home. Uh, loving mother and father. I had everything I could ask for. Um, all the opportunity in the world. Uh, but there was always something missing. And I never really felt like I fed in with other people. I would change who I was based upon who I was with. Um, therefore, I never really developed in true self-identity. Freshman year of college, I started hanging out with a group of people who I thought really were my friends. Um, and... You know, because they finally accepted me for the very first time. And, you know, I, I started experimenting with drugs and alcohol. And that took a very quick downward slide. So I never really understood God or religion. Um, I didn't have a personal connection. From the age of seven on, I was trying to fill this hole. You know, I have been a situation with my best friend's father that I was full of shame and hid, hid the secret for years. But I would, had goals and I had dreams and I was going to make something of myself. So I became Miss Yuma County and then the next year I became Miss Arizona and then the next year after that I competed at Miss America representing the state of Arizona. And 
still something was there was a void and I decided after my year of service was over that I would fill that void with drugs and um, that led me on a 13 year not drawing a single sober breath and um, you know at, at the very end it led to my house being raided by, by the police my attorney suggested that I go to treatment. And while I was in treatment, about 21 days in, I had some blood work done and I found out that I was HIV positive as a result of, of my drinking and using. And every single bit of the liar that lives in between my ears told me, you're never gonna be married, you're never gonna, nobody's ever gonna love you. You're damaged, you're diseased, you're unsavable goods. And I just sat frozen in my room at this treatment center for probably 72 hours. I think that was my first surrender that I couldn't get sober on my own. You know, I'd finally decided I hit rock bottom. I was going to get sober. I couldn't stop drinking. I got some help. I finally reached out for some help. I met my wife. Um, and we developed a wonderful relationship. And, uh, you know, it was wonderful. Life is amazing. And within three months, were pregnant and engaged in that order and um, so life started to happen um, and my father passed away four days before our wedding and this time David relapsed and for the next three years it was broken promises and it was uh, deceit and it was uh, instability in the home I felt more broken than I had when I when I surrendered to the fact that I was a drug addict. I did some personal inventory and, and work on myself and I I got to become a mother at 40 years old for the first time. And we have a beautiful three-year-old named Rowan. But I couldn't fix what was going on in my husband. I, I think I was at the point of I don't know what else to do. My friend Don had been encouraging me to come to church for, the, for a couple of years, probably two years. And I finally had gotten myself to a point in my life where like, I was just broken. I came to church and I remember walking in the door and it was different than I had ever felt before. Um, it was because there was something that was going on. And that Sunday, Pastor Nomi shared about pain's always easier than it's perfect. And I just felt Jesus like come into my life like I had never experienced before. You don't understand, the journey from for me to find God has been one that I've spent my whole life trying to do. And so for it instantly to happen, with me out doing anything, just surrendering and giving up and asking, say, God, he says, I can't do this anymore, I need your help. That's a miracle. That is not something that any human Our marriage, our home is happy. It has life. Um, 
things like it just it's, it just more joyful and it was I didn't have anything to do with it it was just a miracle it was a miracle like it almost feels like this weight has been lifted off my shoulders like the burdens of the world and responsibilities that I carried like right here for so many years just had been gone and over the weekend I said I'm gonna say something that I've never said before but I can't wait for it to be Sunday I just I just want to get to church so I can That story is not possible if Jesus didn't die on the cross and rise again. The empty tomb fills the empty soul. The empty tomb fills the empty heart. The empty tomb fills the empty life. See, in this place this morning, there's no doubt in my mind that some of you can relate to the first half of that story. The brokenness, the frustration, the pain from the decision that you've made. But you can't relate to the second half yet. You know what he was talking about when he said, I just felt this weight off my shoulders? See, he was carrying the weight of spiritual debt that he couldn't pay. And when he gave his life to Christ, that spiritual debt no longer became a burden. See, there's some of you in this room that are carrying a debt that you can't pay, that Christ has paid for you. And my question to you this morning is why would you not receive Christ and be debt-free? Receive Christ and be debt-free. Let's pray together.